Thanks, Dave and Julie. Uh, good morning, church. It's good to be with you this morning. Well, how was everyone's Thanksgiving? Did you take the opportunity to show your gratitude to God? It's a, it's a great American holiday that we celebrate. Um, my daughter and her husband actually had some friends um, that had come in from Reykjavik, um, Iceland. Uh, they knew them uh, because they were living over there for a while. Uh, and they were actually of South African uh, descent. And they were said, this is the first time that we've ever celebrated Thanksgiving. It's the first time they'd ever come to America, and they don't celebrate it uh, in Iceland or in South Africa. So this is uh, something that, that we really have um, that's a great thing. So last week, Pastor Chris taught us that gratitude is a key element in the guarding of our hearts and minds. And that ultimately brings about God's peace in our life. And he also closed the message uh, with a little story about when he first came to New Jersey from uh, Michigan. He never locked the door to his house, and he never locked the door to his truck. And, you know, we here in, in New Jersey, we understand the importance of guarding that which is valuable. And I think over time, he may have um, caught on to that a little bit. Um, but it's important, and Paul, as we go back into Philippians and continue our study there, he's going to tell us about the importance not only of keeping the bad things out of our thoughts, but also how to get the good things in. So that's where we're heading this morning. But before we go there, uh, I thought that I would request your participation in a little survey that we're going to do. Actually, I have three surveys for you to take this morning, so you have to participate in my survey. Now, we've already said that the phrase of the day is thoughts matter. So we're going to look at a spectrum, and you're going to evaluate your own thought life on a particular spectrum. And the first one has worry at one end, and it has peace at the other, right? So on a scale from zero to 10, worry to extreme worry to extreme peace, right? Where, where do you fall? On an average given day, where are your thoughts on that spectrum? So if you have your program notes, you can go ahead and actually circle. I've got the, I've got the line there for you to, to do that. If you don't have your program notes, you have to do it in your mind. But I want you to make a selection, pick a number that represents your thoughts on any given day for that spectrum. Now, I know that for some of you, the idea of, of a survey or taking a test uh, just made your score on that particular spectrum go down two or three points. All right, so you got your number for spectrum number one. Let's look at another spectrum. Let's look at spectrum number two, which is represented by reactive versus proactive. Now, I was kind of trying to come up with a, a good way to think about th these two uh, extremes. And I thought of conversation. So when you have a conversation with a friend, it could be somebody that you are talking to after uh, the church service this morning, it could be somebody that you don't know very well, or it could be a good friend. Do you typically ask the questions in that conversation, or do you just answer questions, right? Because if you're proactive, you 
are going to be asking questions of that person because you want to get to know them, right? You're going to drive the conversation with those questions. If you're reactive, you're just going to react to the questions that are answered. Now, I have to admit I am very bad in this category. I would have to mark myself very low because I'll be in a conversation and people will ask me questions and I'll just answer and then I'll just talk about myself a little bit more and a little bit more and I get done with the conversation and I realize I never asked them any questions, any reciprocal questions. It was just all about me, talking about me. So where do you think you fall on this spectrum, reactive, proactive? You could be reactive or proactive with your schedule. You could be reactive or proactive with your parenting or with your marriage. Um, but is it all about you or is it all about the other person? That's spectrum number two. One last spectrum. Spectrum number three is impure versus pure. Are your thoughts constantly running off in the direction of impurity? Would you be ashamed if others could actually look inside your mind and see what your thoughts are? Or is your thought life pretty consistent and uh, pretty morally upright? Now, this one is very telling because I think all of us, I know I do, we tend to think that we can effectively hide our thoughts from everyone else around us. And that's why it's so important to set a guard about your heart and your mind. Because you see, it's one of Satan's big lies that we can think whatever we want to think and it's not actually going to affect our lives. So here's a big idea uh, today. Our lives move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Our lives move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Now think about that. Does that make sense to you? It does to me. But do you really believe that this morning? Because if you do, then I think there's a corollary to that that also makes sense. You see, if our lives move in the direction of our strongest thoughts, then the life we live is a reflection of the thoughts that we are thinking. You see, they are connected. It does matter. Now, why do I think this is true? It makes sense when you think about it, but also the Bible very clearly teaches this. If we go back and look at Proverbs 4.23, it says, be careful what you think because your thoughts Run your life. And then over in the New Testament, Jesus actually said something similar. He said, For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Wow. I mean, did he leave anything out? You see, what comes first on that list? Our thoughts. It all begins in our mind. And our mind is actually a battlefield. And most of, of your life's battles are either won or lost in your mind. So with that as a backdrop, let's come back now to Philippians chapter 4, and let's pick it up 
in verse 8, where we left off last week. And it says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, for some of us looking at this list, it's like standing at the base of a mountain and looking up and being told, climb the mountain, but you don't have any equipment, you don't have any training, and you don't have a guide. I mean, it looks impossible. It feels impossible to have that kind of attention on these things constantly. But I want to dispel that notion today. If, if you're feeling that, I want, to, I, want, I want to get that out of your mind. And I, I want to say very clearly, this is possible. This is something that you can do. We, together, as a family, we can do this. Now, Paul goes on to say in verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now notice in verse 8, Paul tells us what we are to think. And then here in verse 9, he tells us the things that we are to do. But we're not just to do a one and done. He says, practice these things. In other words, do them over and over and over again. And so this passage, these two verses, they actually respect the order that we've established in this big idea, and that is that our thoughts proceed and actually lead our actions. Now, most of our attention this morning is going to be on verse 8 and the power of right thinking, but I don't want you to, I don't want you to miss this connection uh, between these two verses and what they're actually teaching. So understand that right thinking leads to right doing, which leads to God's powerful, peaceful presence in your life. Now let's hop back into verse 8, because there's a lot there to unpack. Um, and so let's study uh, each of these words a little bit more. It starts out by saying, whatever is true. So I did a little um, research here. I looked these up. Uh, true means consistent with fact or reality, not false, not erroneous, not counterfeit, not a lie. Now, I would submit to you that God is the final arbiter of truth, but we have to discern in our lives between truth and lies. So this here is a call to sift through all the information that's constantly bombarding our brains on a daily basis and make a determination. Is this true? And we can't think about whatever is true if we can't figure out the truth from the lies. So it all starts there. And then he says, whatever is honorable. Now, some translations use the word noble here. It means dignified or deserving of respect. In other words, your in your mind, distance yourself from those things that are shameful and embrace that which is noble. You know, we have a saying today, be your best self. This basically is telling us, 
Think your best thoughts. And then whatever is just. So just means consistent with what is morally right or righteous, to be fair in one's dealings. Um, I like to think of this as truth now being applied to our lives. So knowing the truth, what is the right thing to do in any situation? That is to do what is just. We get our word justice from this. Whatever is pure. It means having a uniform composition free from dirt, pollutants, infectious agents, or other unwanted elements. And in our context, it refers to wholesomeness, not being mixed with moral impurity. And it's interesting that these last two categories, if you look at them, just and pure, they're really not the same thing. Because there's people that would be very much in favor of justice, but not so much concerned about purity. And vice versa, there's people who are just totally focused on purity, but couldn't care that much about justice. So there's a whole spectrum of things here that, that Paul is providing for us to think about. The next one is whatever is lovely. It means beautiful, enjoyable, delightful. And in our context here, it can actually mean that which promotes peace rather than conflict. And then finally, whatever is commendable. Uh, another word that's used in other translations is admirable. Uh, I put admirable on the slide because that's the one that I could find in the Internet Dictionary. And it means deserving of high regard or approval. And it can also mean, in this context, that which is positive and constructive as opposed to negative and destructive. And then he finally sums it all up by saying, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise. Excellence. The difference between good, merely good, better, or best. Think about the, the most lofty of ideals. And the term praiseworthy, I think, is very closely associated with worship. So who alone is worthy of all of our worship? God is. And so this list of attributes actually represents derivatives of God's character. If you think about it, God is true, God is honorable, God is just, he's pure, he's lovely, and he is admirable. And that's why these things are so worth thinking about. Now, if you're like me, at this point in the message, you should be asking yourself, or you should actually be saying to me, you know, Mike, that's a good theory, but how does it actually work in real life? Well, there's a problem here. The problem is that you have an adversary. And Peter tells us that your adversary prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, not all of his assaults on us are frontal assaults. He also uses and wages a subtle campaign of disinformation in your mind. And, and you cannot underestimate how powerful this war is that's being waged against your mind. You know, Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He said, we are human 
but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. Now that word strongholds can literally be translated prison of deception. So I want to give you three markers this morning. They all start with the letter D that define this battle for your mind. And as you may have guessed, the first D is deception. Now this statement I got from Pastor Craig Groeschel, uh, and this is actually his commentary on this verse in 2 Corinthians. And he said this, the devil wants to shape your thinking one lie at a time until you are a prisoner of deception. See, the devil has many tools at his disposal. Uh, some of those tools, social media, a friend's advice, peer pressure, materialism. That's just the tip of the iceberg. He's got all kinds of things that he is going to use to get your mind off of what you need to be thinking about. And uh, in his book, The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis, he composes this journal of letters as if one senior demon is writing to a junior demon. He's instructing him in the art of deception. And um, the junior demon has one person that's assigned to him. That's his charge, and uh, his goal is the total destruction of that person's life. And, and don't miss that. Don't miss the fact that you, we are in an all-out war with our enemy. And so uh, the strategy is to get that person to either dismiss or misinterpret or substitute for or neglect the Word of God, which... The demon knows is, is, is the one thing that alone will save him. And the entire strategy is, is executed by foisting one lie after another upon the unsuspecting victim's mind, all the while making sure that he doesn't tip him off to the fact that he's actually in a spiritual battle at all. But this battle is all too real. It goes on in all of our minds whether we're aware of it or not. And the enemy is playing for keeps. I mean, don't miss that fact. He is out to destroy your life. Well, if deception is the first battleground marker, then discernment would be the second one. And the quote here is that your conscience must be informed by the Bible to properly discern truth from lies. Now, when I'm looking for a quote here from, from, from some uh, famous person, couldn't find one that adequately said what I wanted to say, so I just made up my own. And I actually think it's pretty good, but I might be biased. Um, but, you know, it's like, um, I was talking to, to Pastor Chris about this, and he said, you know what it's, it's like? It's like, because we love these, these war uh, analogies. He said, it's like a paratrooper being dropped behind enemy lines with no map. That's what not having discernment is. Like, you're there, you're in unfriendly territory, and you don't know which way to go. You don't know how to make sense of anything. 
if you don't have that discernment. You see, our minds are equipped to make value judgments. We do it all the time. We do it at like a nanosecond rate as information flows into our brain. But, but how we tag that information, which is essentially the job of your conscience to, to make a, dis, a value decision about what you just heard or what you just saw, that tag is molded by things like family values, like our own culture, and even your own sinful nature. And that's why we have to expose ourselves to the truth of God's word. God reveals his truth in his word. And if we're, we're going to ever accurately discern uh, what is true versus what is a lie, we have to do it through God's word. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So the idea of discerning is being able to cut through, cut through the, the, the truth from the lies, like a, like a hot knife through butter. See, one of the problems specific to our culture is that we live in this age of information, and we are bombarded by so much media information. You know, it used to be most of our information came from reading things, and, and that you know, there's a, a rate of, of flow of information that we can handle, but, but media is so dense with information, right, that, that you see a still picture, or worse yet, you know, a TikTok video, right? There's just so much information packed into that, and a lot of it gets stored in our brain, in our mind, without an adequate value being associated with it. And that leads to the third battleground marker, which is discipline. And here the quote is that your mind must be disciplined to think like Christ. Now, this came from a book by Gordon MacDonald uh, that my life group actually read this summer. We actually studied it together, and uh, we had a blast with it. Uh, you don't have to take my word. You can just ask Jerry or Renzo or Russ. Um, but in this particular section where he makes this statement, he goes on to clarify what he's talking about, and I think this is important. He says, to think like Christ means to look at our world from the perspective that it is made and owned by God, that what we do with creation will have to be accounted for, and that it is important to make choices according to the laws of God. He then acknowledges that for many people who grew up in a Christian context, this is almost instinctual. But for a great many other people who are newer Christ followers, uh, it's not that instinctual. And so we constantly have to recheck our, our instincts uh, because they might not be correct. And, and we have to spend some time reconditioning our natural instincts to be able to gain that Christ perspective. Now, we have to, um, we have to make that, that conscious effort to recatalog the values that we've attached to certain things. And that could be about the content that we watch. It could mean about the music that we listen to or the passions that we pursue. All of those things need to be looked at. You know, <clears throat> Romans 12.2 is a verse that probably many of you are familiar with. 
It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. But how do we do that? How do we let God transform, how do you let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think? Well, a big part of that process involves discipline. You know, we need to practice right thinking because the way the brain actually works, I, I found this like fascinating when, when I discovered it. Um, there are these things in your brain called neural pathways. And uh, you have nodes in your brain, and then a, a neural pathway is a, a road that connects two nodes in your brain. And that's the way you think. Uh, and you constantly, when you think a new thought, you make a new connection. And every time you think that thought, that neural pathway gets stronger and wider. And so this idea of repetition that Dave was talking about, um, it's, it's a big deal in your mind. So at first, you know, you might think... Uh, uh, thought, and, and I heard it described as like learning to shoot uh, a free throw, right? Like hand-eye coordination. And, and you do it, and you're not very good at it, but you do it again, you do it again. So that neural pathway each time gets, it goes from like a, a path in the wilderness to like a gravel road to like becoming like a four-lane highway if you do it enough times over and over again. And so that's what we need to do. Uh, with these thoughts and, and getting these, these thoughts into our mind, focusing on the positive. Likewise, when we stop thinking about the old ways that we would think, right, the, the, uh, the old worldly patterns, they get less traveled and then they actually start to become overgrown and then they become less prevalent in our thinking. Uh, researchers tell us that if you want to establish a new habit, it takes probably 90 to 100 days of repetitive action, and the same thing is true with our mind. You want to establish new thought patterns, it's going to take you 90 to 100 days to really establish that in your brain. So here's some uh, ideas for homework this week. Uh, they're in the form of these little couplets, so each thing has two things, um, and it's going to help us to practice the power of right thinking if we decide that we can put these into practice. So the first one is gratitude and worship. Now I have to give credit where credit is due. Uh, some of these applications come straight from my life group. And this one is, is Gerald Hammond, okay? This is what this guy does. Uh, and the first one is when you wake up in the morning, before you do anything, before your feet hit the floor, stop and give gratitude to God. Like while you're still there in bed, now, it could be as simple as just memorizing a verse. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Do that for the next 90 days before your feet hit the floor. I guarantee you it will have an effect on your life. The second half of that is worship. And, you know, when I go and take a shower in the morning, I'm usually like brain in neutral. Right? And it's just like daydream, it's like, oh, whatever, I just kind of still waking up. But Jerry actually goes into the shower with the intention that he's going to worship during that time. I thought that was fascinating. And so I've been working on that, 
And uh, it's not easy, you know, it's not easy to establish those new habits. I haven't been 100% effective, but that's one I would recommend. If you don't do that one, how about the second one, which is questioning and listening. Remember that spectrum of reactive, proactive? This is one I have to work on as well. But when you talk to people, when you have conversation with people, be the one who's asking the questions. Why is that important? Because it takes our mind off of us and it puts it squarely on another person. So when you're asking them questions, you can find out about their needs. You can find out ways to serve them. I mean, Jesus, when he was here, said that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others. And so that's how we need to have that Christ perspective. So questioning, learn how to question people, learn how to listen, right? Make it all about them. I have to give credit where credit is due on this one, too, because I've been learning this from my life group uh, member, Renzo. So if you want to know about these questions, ask Renzo. I've got them written down here, but I don't think, well, maybe we do have time. Here's three questions that I learned from Renzo. If you don't have time to write them down, just see Renzo after the service. What is the most important thing to you right now? That's one question. Or... What is your biggest source of stress in your life right now? Or ask them, what are you learning about God right now? And it's important to say right now because that kind of makes it like immediate. You find out exactly what's going on in their life. So try that. Um, or try number three, which is reading and studying. Now this habit is to focus your mind on critical learning and to be able to think more like Christ. And so we all need to be reading the Bible, I think, on a daily basis. I think you should have a time set aside where you take God's Word in every day. And then reading is one thing, and then studying is taking it to another level. And so what we did in Philippians 8, where we actually looked up the, the words and what do they actually mean, that's taking it to the level of studying. Now, not everybody can study the Bible every day, but how about once a week? How about if we make, the, make it our habit to read God's Word every day, to study it once a week? And then to be reading good literature, too. Like the book uh, I mentioned before, uh, Ordering Your Private World. Great book if you want to saturate your mind with ideas from the Bible. Reading and studying. So the idea here is to pick one of these three things. You don't have to do them all. I don't recommend you try to do them all. Uh, but pick number one. If, if you're already doing number one, pick number two. If you're already doing one and two, pick number three. Um, but see if you can do these things for the next 90 days. Because at the end of 90 days, if you do this consistently, that would be at the end of February, you're going to have the equivalent of a four-lane highway of new thought patterns going on in your brain. You see, our lives move in the direction of our strongest thoughts. And Paul's given us some really good examples of what to think about. But your mind is a battleground. We need to overcome deception with discernment and discipline. So this week I invite you to explore the power of right thinking, and experience the presence of the God of peace. Let's pray. Father, uh, 
Help us to know that you are real. Help us to know that the battle in our minds is real and that we have to pay attention to it. That our thoughts really do matter. That our thoughts really do drive the direction of our lives. And that we do have an adversary and that he is intent on the total destruction of our lives. Lord, you have given us the resources that we need. Gratitude, thinking about things that are true, thinking about things that are honorable, just, pure, lovely, and admirable. God, help us to establish these new patterns of thought in our lives. Help us to be more like Christ this week. In Jesus' name, amen.